this evening comes from 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 to 27, and this can be found on page 1278 in some of the Pew Bibles. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lies come from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. I am writing these things to you, to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as the anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as he, it is taught, you remain in him. Well, thanks. Steph, and thanks, Sam, for the prayer. Now, friends, uh, let me encourage you to turn around, welcome each other, grab an outline if you like one. You can get one uh, on the way in. Uh, there's an outline of the sermon. You might find that helpful. And also, there's also a full transcript of the talk for those who would like that. Uh, and I'll call you back in about 30 seconds. So turn around, welcome each other. Okay, please um, uh, turn around. We'll make a start. Now, it's an interesting topic that we have tonight. Why are we looking at this topic? Well, at this church, we're committed to working through books of the Bible, so we don't skip passages that are difficult, and this is our one for tonight. But let us now turn to God in prayer, and we'll ask for his help for us tonight. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us through your written word about your son, Jesus. We pray, Heavenly Father, that tonight you'll inform our minds, change our hearts and change the way we live because of it. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, friends, what are the dangers you see facing the church today? What are the dangers you see facing the church? We see right from the very beginning of Christianity, Christianity faced dangers from all sorts of directions. Right? Christianity was the, the target of all dangers, lots of attacks. And in a sense, that should be of no surprise. In the teachings of Jesus himself, the greatest sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to those there listening, he says, people will insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And so when Christians are attacked, when Christians are in danger, it should be no surprise. Now, of course, Christians face danger from the outside, outside the church. Now, there are stories after stories after stories of Christians and churches attacked by extremist groups. If you look up the 
Barnabas Fund website, you see stories after stories of Christians being attacked. Earlier this year, in the Central African Republic, 20 were killed. Many were kidnapped, grenades thrown into the church. These things happen. Or in a village in Syria, just in April this year, they were attacked there. 350 families driven from their homes. 49 men kidnapped, properties torched and looted. You check out Barnabas' son and you read these stories after stories of Christians being attacked from the outside. In fact, statistics has it that about 150,000 Christians die each year because of their faith, because of their faith in Christ. And so the church is attacked from the outside. It's no surprise. And when it happens, it does leave Christians confused and bewildered. You know, the faith is tested, then foundation is shaken. But often when the church is attacked from the outside, it actually serves to strengthen the church. It brings unity. For example, after World War II, when the Chinese communists, they expelled all the Western missionaries from China, they were expecting that that would mean Christianity in China would die. But did that happen? Well, it didn't. In fact, it grew. The move of expelling Western missionaries led to the leadership of the Chinese church getting stronger. It became indigenous and therefore it was strengthened. Often dangers that come from outside the church serve to unify the church and to strengthen it. But there's another danger, a danger to the church that actually comes from within the church. Dangers that come from within. Dangers that come from without serve to strengthen the church. Dangers that come from within often divide and destroy the church. And if you think about it, you can understand why. If you were going to fight in a war, if your enemy is the common enemy and they are your only enemies, you're united, you've got a common enemy, it's easy. You know who you're fighting against. But if your enemy comes from within, from your own camp, there are those who are spies, those who are traitors. It's like being stabbed in the back, right? So it creates distrust, disunity, it destroys, it divides. And that's why the Apostle John, in this passage that we'll be looking at today, he's looking at the danger that comes from within. The danger that comes from within the church. And this is what this whole business about the Antichrist is all about. And so when you hear the word Antichrist, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Perhaps movies like The Omen. Anyone seen that movie? The Devil's Child. You know, all that freaky stuff. Or movies like The Exorcist and movies of that nature. Antichrist as the devil incarnate with horns and a fork and a tail and fire and brimstone. Arnold Schwarzenegger even in the movie End of Days. It sounds like no one's seen that. Anyway, you don't have to see it and it's not worth watching anyway. But when we think of Antichrist, often we're thinking about all those freaky, scary stuff, right? But when we look at our passage today, what we'll find is that the Antichrist or the Antichrist, plural, are remarkably normal. They are quite normal. You see, Antichrist just means someone who is against Christ, someone who is opposed to Christ. And so what we'll see today, what we'll learn about the Antichrist today, um, three things, 
three wonderful points uh, put together by William Taylor, an excellent Bible teacher. He says, they're unavoidable. That's the first thing. Secondly, they are from within. And thirdly, they are incompatible with the truth. Okay, so three things, they are unavoidable. So that's the first one. Now, you see, the term Antichrist, we only find this term in the letters of John. But elsewhere in the New Testament, there is the mention of the man of lawlessness or the beast in Revelation, which does suggest some final adversary against God, against Christ, against his people, perhaps referring to Satan himself. But before the coming of this great and final adversary, what we see here in this passage is that there are many antichrists and they are remarkably normal. You see, they're humans. They're nothing supernatural like the devil incarnate. They are humans. Humans, perhaps, who have been influenced by the great antichrist who stands behind them, but they are remarkably normal. Just humans. But though they are remarkably normal, they are no less dangerous. Now, Leon Morris, a great theologian who used to be the principal of Ridley College here in Melbourne, he expresses the danger of the Antichrist in this way. He says, The Antichrist is undercutting the very foundation of the Christian faith. He is doing the work of Satan in opposing the things of God. These are people. People opposing the things of God. And so, the Antichrist, they're unavoidable because there are many of them. There are many of them. And because there are many of them, this is a sign, what John is saying here, this is a sign that we're living in the last hour. We're living in the last times. Now, when you hear the, the phrase, last hour, last days, what is it that comes to mind? Now, I suspect the things that come to mind are, are things like the apocalypse or Armageddon, you know, Bruce Willis and that big rock that was coming, stuff like that, last hour, last time. But you see, when the Bible uses the phrase last days, last hours, it's referring to the per- period in which we all live now. We are all living in the last hour. Now, if you think about all of human history on a timeline, and you think of just the four major events. I will just point out four, four of them. First, you've got creation. The world was created. And then you have the fall. And right in the centre of God's purposes is redemption, the coming of Christ. The last big event is the new creation. Now, when the Bible talks about the last hour, the last days, it's referring to the period between the first and second coming of Jesus. That is our period now. This is the period in which we live. And so what John is saying here is that this is our period and so there are many, many antichrists. So how do we know? Well, let's look at verse 18. So keep your Bibles open to to chapter 2, verse 18, and we'll read this verse. John says, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the antichrist singular is coming, Even now many antichrists, plural, have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. And so the first point about the antichrist is that it's unavoidable. They are unavoidable. Secondly, they come from within. They come from within. That's why they are unavoidable. And that's why they're so dangerous, because they come from within. 
See, the Antichrist that John speaks of are these human teachers, these leaders who have come out from the Christian community. These are people that you've sung with, that you've shared the Lord's Supper with, that you've had communion with, that you've had fellowship with, that you've invited into your home, that you've prayed with. These are the ones John is talking about. They're they're remarkably normal because they are just people, people who have left the Christian community and that's why they're dangerous because they come from within. But then John goes on to say here that by leaving the Christian community, they show their true colours. They show that they didn't in fact belong to the people of God in the first place. And so have a look at verse 19 now. Verse 19, they went out from us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Now, I wonder if that shocks you at all. The Antichrist that John speaks of are those who once belonged to the Christian community. Now, I was thinking about this a bit this week and I was thinking, do we actually take what John says here seriously? I mean, is he for real that the Antichrist were once from the Christian community? Do we take it seriously? Is it just a fairy tale? Is it for real? Was John just writing this to scare us? Or was he serious about this, that there is, there are Antichrists? And if if there are, where are they? And so it made me wonder, if this is true, if John is serious that there are Antichrists around because we are living in the last hour, Where are they? Well, it made me wonder whether this is one of the reasons why there are so many Christian denominations in the world. It just made me think about it. There are over 43,000 denominations in the world. Many of them started up by splitting off from another. I don't like what you're teaching, so we're going to do our own thing. Could there be, this is just a question, could there be some that are led by Antichrist, those who are opposed to Christ, against Christ. Now, this is not suggesting in any way that there are evil denominations out there, but it begs the question, right? If, according to John, there are Antichrists because we are in the last hour teaching and believing something else, where are they? Where are they? Well, you see, during the Reformation in the, uh, during the 16th century, there was never a time in church history when so many pastors and ministers and theologians and scholars and experts in the Bible, such as these guys, Martin Luther, Melanchthon, John Calvin, Zwingli, Ridley, Latimer, Tyndale, Cranmer, John Fox and John Knox. You see, all these guys, they are brilliant scholars, brilliant minds, but they were all convinced that the Antichrist was alive and living in Rome. They all believed that the Pope was the Antichrist. That's what they believed. And that's because during that time anyway, during that time, the Pope lived these extravagant lifestyles, but yet unspiritual lifestyles. The Pope, during that time, they were corrupt. Many of them bribed their way into the papal office. They had many mistresses and many of them had many illegitimate children. See, the the Pope to these guys, they exalted themselves in the place of Christ, being the ones who offer forgiveness of sins, 
through the selling of indulgences. And that's why, during that time, the Pope was considered an antichrist. Now, this is a picture where, where the Pope is depicted as an antichrist selling and uh, signing indulgences. But what about today? I mean, that's back then, that's what the reformers believed. What about today? Are they around? Well, John tells us in this second point, they come from within and in the next point, he tells us how to spot them. And so thirdly, the Antichrist is incompatible with the truth. That's how you spot them. They are incompatible with the truth. And so John goes on to say, you can spot them because you who believe in Jesus, you know the truth. You who believe in Jesus, you who belong to Jesus, you've received the message of Jesus from the apostles. You've received the truth from the apostles, that Jesus is the Christ, that he died for you, that he came back to life for you. You've received that. And not only that, John goes on to say, you've got the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God in you, confirming what you've learned. And so have a look at verses 20 and 21. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, And all of you know the truth. John is saying you should know this. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. And so John is saying the Antichrist then is incompatible with the truth that you already know, that the Holy Spirit in you confirms it to be true. Now John goes on to make this clearer. Now on what particular point do the Antichrist get it wrong? Where do they falter? Where are their lies? Well, it centres on the person of Jesus Christ. Those who are antichrist, they separate Jesus from Christ. And so those who are antichrist, they're happy to believe that Jesus was just a man, that he was a carpenter, that he was the son of Joseph, but they deny that that same person is also the Christ. Now, the word Christ is the Greek word of the Hebrew word Messiah. Messiah, Christ, same meaning, and it means the one chosen by God, the chosen king of God, the one who is saviour. And so the Antichrist, what's wrong with their belief and their thinking is that they separate Jesus from Christ. But then John goes on to say in this verse, to deny that Jesus is a Christ that Jesus Christ is this one and same person, both God and both man, they are also denying the Father. And when you deny one, you deny the other. So you can't have God the Father without God the Son. And you cannot have God the Son without God the Father. And that's why Jesus can so boldly claim when he walked this earth, he said in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. You want eternal life? There's only one place you'll find that, and that is me. In fact, no one comes to the Father except through me. And so that's the point John is making. You can't know God, you can't have God, if you do not have the Son. And so Jesus, the God-man, is also the Christ. You cannot get that wrong. Otherwise, John would say, you get that wrong, you're an antichrist. And so have a look at verses 22 and 23. John says, Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. 
No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And so his point here is clear. The Antichrist is incompatible with the truth. And that is why if you muck up with Jesus, you muck up with God. If you get Jesus wrong, if you do not understand who he is, you've got nothing. There is no salvation. They are all lies. And this is why when I share the gospel of Jesus, when I share about Jesus to those who who are searching, and you should too, I always consciously, always consciously make very clear that you cannot just believe in a generic God. It's not enough to believe I believe in God, the same God as yours, the God who loves me, the God who forgives me. That is not enough, you see. Unless your God is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, we're not talking about the same God. Now, last year when our church, we ran the Christianity Explored course, one of the questions, one of the comments I received was, I thought believing in God was enough. And so in that person's mind, believing in a generic God is enough. But it's not. You must believe in his son, Jesus. Without Jesus, you have no father. Without Jesus, you've got nothing. You've got no salvation. You've got no eternal life. There is nothing. And so, what are the three points? If the Antichrist is unavoidable, if the Antichrist is from within, if the Antichrist is incompatible with the truth, then where are they? I mean, if John is not mucking around in this verse, where are they? Well, we've talked about what the reformers thought during their time. What about today, 2014? Where are the many antichrists that John speaks of? Well, I'll share one story with you and I'll avoid mentioning any names or churches. But let me tell you of one who is quite close to home, one in our very own city. Now, you can decide about this person, but this is a man who was ordained as a Presbyterian minister in 1961, ordained by the Presbyterian Church of Australia. He served nine years in a Presbyterian church in Paran and then in 1971 left the Presbyterian denomination and joined another one. Now, that should bring to mind what John was saying. They went out from us. That denomination changed. In 1977, it became a different denomination. And that, that minister remains today serving as an ordained minister in the Church of God, right here in Melbourne, in a CBD. Sounds okay so far? Nothing wrong with that? But listen to what he believes and teaches. In 2008, he launched what he called the New Faith. This New Faith was where he sought to eliminate elements of orthodox Christianity which he saw as incompatible with modern day rationality and science. In this new faith, he believes it's a liberal and ultra-progressive form of a continually, uh, continually involving faith. And so he didn't like the idea that, you know, Christians, you, you are old-fashioned, you're archaic, you're fundamental, you're boring, you still believe in this old Bible. You need to get on with the times. And so he launched this new faith. But what did he believe about Jesus? What did he believe, or what does he believe about God, 
about the Bible? Well, listen to this. He believes that Moses was a mass murderer. Abraham was merely a concoction. Jesus was a Jewish peasant and not God, not divine. This was a man who was once ordained in the Presbyterian church. He doesn't believe in the virgin birth, that there are no miracles at all, there's no resurrection, no original sin, no trinity. He doesn't even believe in God as a divine personal being. Rather, God to him is a presence. God is a presence, not a person. And so God does not intervene in the affairs of humans. For us to get through life, well, it's just up to us and his help. He's one who supports euthanasia. He's all about the consonance between science and faith and he teaches how psychology has so much to teach about theology. Now, I found that also bizarre. Is this really for real? Someone who was once ordained in in a church like ours could go on believing these things? Well, I thought... I better check it out. Let's see if this is really for real. So I did some research. I listened to a sermon, one he gave just last Sunday. It was titled, Being a Well-Adjusted Male. How to be a man, pretty much. Listen to the sermon, about 30 minutes. Not one mention of God. Not one mention of Jesus, just all pop psychology. But yet, ironically, at the end of his sermon... He ends with the Lord's Prayer. I couldn't understand why. He didn't believe in a personal God, but he's our Father. That's the prayer. He believed in a presence, but yet he continues to preach and to minister to hundreds of people in a church in our CBD. So what do you think if the Apostle John heard that that was going on? I suspect John would say, well, that's an antichrist. That's a denial of the Lord Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so we see here the Antichrist, unavoidable from within and incompatible with the truth. And so we see that the church of God will always be under threat from outside. There are dangers from outside which hopefully and prayerfully under God will strengthen the church, unite the church. But when it comes from within... It divides and it destroys. So what are we to do? What are we to do in this church, this church of God? Well, John helps us here in these final verses. John tells us two things. He says, Christians, believers of Jesus, followers of Jesus, those who belong to the community of Christ, two things. Firstly, Christians, be warned. Be warned. Secondly, be prepared. And so firstly he says, Christians, be warned and so remain in the truth. He says, you know that there are many antichrists around who come from within. And so stay with the gospel of Jesus you first heard. Stay with that. Don't go away from that. Don't sway away from that. Don't be blown like the wind. Stay with the teaching of the apostles about Jesus Christ. He died for you, the Son of God, the God-man, and it was raised back to life to give you the hope of eternal life. Stay with that. Remain in that. You see, he's saying it's dangerous to leave the gospel which saves you. If you leave the gospel which saves you, there's no salvation. If you leave it, you risk the losing the promise of Jesus, and that is eternal life. And so have a look at verses 24 and 25. 
See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. And so firstly, be warned. Remain in the truth. Secondly, he says, be prepared. How can we be prepared as people of God? Well, it's doing the same thing, by remaining in the truth. You see, there will be these dangers. They're unavoidable. We are to expect these dangers from within. Antichrist will come to deceive us and they are good at it. They will teach what our itching ears want to hear. And so verse 26, that's why John wrote these words. He says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. And so be prepared. Be prepared by remaining in the truth. He goes on to come back to the idea that you've received an anointing, anointing of the Holy Spirit. You know the truth. Look at verse 27. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as as it has taught you, remain in him. Now that final verse sounds a bit strange, doesn't it? But what John is really getting at is, is to stay with the apostolic teaching. Stay with the witness of the apostles who saw the death and resurrection of Jesus. Stay with that. Do not move away from that. And he says, you've received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit should confirm that truth in you. The Holy Spirit teaches you. You see, he's actually drawing a contrast between what was happening in the Old Testament and in the New. Under the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, not everyone got the Holy Spirit. There were only the special people, the kings, the prophets, the priests. But in the New Testament, the promise is that everyone will get it. And so it was already anticipated in Jeremiah. Have a look at this verse. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbour or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. You see, the Holy Spirit is the promise of God for all believers. Not just special people, but all believers. And the Holy Spirit teaches us and confirms the apostles' teachings in us. Now, this is not to say that you don't need teachers at all. It's not to say that you don't need pastors and ministers and growth group leaders, otherwise they'll all be out of a job. It's not to say that. But it's to say you don't need a mediating priest who's the only person who knows the truth, because you can know it. You've got the Word of God and you've got the Spirit of God. And it's also not to say that, it's also to say that you don't actually naively trust every teacher and preacher that comes before you. You have the Word of God, you have the Spirit of God, and so you can test whether what you hear and learn in church is true. And that is why in this church, that is why in any church you participate in, join with, we heard this, uh, heard this this morning. The Bible must be central. This is how we prepare. We remain in the truth by having the Bible central for its teachings of the prophets and the apostles about Jesus Christ, the Christ, the Saviour, that must be central. And that's why in our church we teach the Bible week in 
and week out. You listen to the Bible open as well. I've been to churches where people don't know where books of the Bible are. People don't carry their Bibles to church. That's okay, you have it on your phone. But have it open. You listen to Bible talks with the Bible open. That's what we always encourage. You never listen to any preacher naively without your brains thinking, without your eyes on the scriptures. And even when you listen to preachers who are up here, in fact, when you listen to any preacher, you listen only as far as they direct you to the Christ of the Bible, the Christ that the apostles testified to. If any teacher or leader teaches you and directs you away from the Christ of the Bible, they're the Antichrist. And that's why also in our church we encourage everyone, we heard tonight, to not only hear, to listen to the Bible, but to study it. Study it every day, study in a growth group. And so this is how you prepare against the danger. This is how you prepare against the antichrists that are around. They will teach you what your itching ears want to hear. And this is how you remain in the truth. And even if you're the last man standing, last woman standing, you remain in the truth. Now I'll finish by telling you a story of a man who in fact did do this. This was during the 4th century, so early on, very early on, when the bulk of the Roman Empire, they were leaning towards and lapsing into a heresy called Arianism. Now in Arianism, it's a belief that Jesus was not the eternal Son of God. It's a belief that Jesus was the first act of God's creation. And so Jesus was not fully God and Jesus was not fully man. That was the belief by the vast majority of Christians during the 4th century. Now that is obviously a mucked up view of Jesus. When you get that wrong, you get Jesus wrong, you don't have the Father. Well, anyway, the church fathers, they were nutting through this doctrine of Jesus. It caused a lot of chaos and confusion amongst the church. But one bishop, Athanasius of Alexandria, he stood like a rock. He remained in the apostolic teaching about Jesus. And for his efforts, he was banished, not from those outside the church, but by those within the church. He was banished at least five times. He was bishop for about 46 years. 20 of them he spent in exile. And so one colleague once said to him, the whole world is against you. You see, the the colleague was noticing the church was moving into that direction to believe this Arian heresy. Now, Athanasius, he replied this way. He said, then it is Athanasius against the world. The last man standing remained standing. He backed up the creeds that we say, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. He backed that up. He said, that is what we believe. We will not move from that, from the teachings of the Apostles. The last man standing remained standing. Now, C.S. Lewis, he says of this man, it is his glory that he did not move with the times. He remained in the truth and so must we. So let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this truth you teach us. We thank you for your spirit you give us, that we may know of you and know of the truth of Christ. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, that we will always be prepared, 
Help us to remain in the teachings of the apostles about Jesus, that he is indeed the Christ, the one who died for us, the one who was raised to life to guarantee us eternal life. And we pray, Lord, that we will always stand, that our glory too will be that we will not move with the times. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.